Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have a dynamo on our program today. We have Dr. Tracy Weiland, who's the author of not one book, but two books, Career Confusion and Digital Disruption. Dr. Weiland, welcome to the program, and thank you for interrupting your extremely busy day to join us on this program to talk about your thoughts and insights on leadership and to talk about your two books, Career Confusion and Digital Disruption. Before we jump in to your books, can you share with our audience a little bit about your highlights of your education career and your background? Oh, sure. And thank you very much for having me on your show. You know, I'm a very um, generic person uh, in terms of my background. I grew up on the East Coast in New York and uh, was able to go to college uh, thanks to my parents' hard work and went to your basic liberal arts school and then ended up working in Manhattan in the media industry. Um, In my early 20s, unfortunately, you know, my grandmother got very ill with Alzheimer's at a young age and the whole family just sort of went west uh, where I had a brother out in grad school and that's where the medical was for my grandmother Um, and we just thought that I would easily get a career or job going out west and it was very hard for me and so I do what a lot of people do in the Silicon Valley is I actually worked three part-time jobs to survive. Uh, Uber didn't exist then, but, you know, I was working in restaurants and fashion industry and stores. Um, And then eventually I tempt my way into Apple Computer, which is basically you take on temp jobs until they finally hire you. And they started me on this career path of manufacturing, which was really far and different than fashion media. But um, that's where I started. And then I realized that Silicon Valley was a completely different world. And I unfortunately couldn't get promoted unless I had advanced degrees. So I went back to school at night and I pursued an MBA and then I moved on to the doctorate. And then I kept going and doing advanced research and got invited to do some research while working at Stanford. So it's been a long journey. I'm just vanilla. uh, And I realized how competitive the world was and I had to figure out how to keep up. So that's sort of my background. So I've led companies, worked in Silicon Valley for many years, Apple, Cisco Systems, Hewlett Packard. I was a visiting scholar at Stanford and now I have my own speaking business and I continue to do research and writing books and um, and that's what I do today. So finally evolved out of the corporate world into my own world. That is excellent. And if you had to say what are the three or four key expertise points or more that you have, what would you say that they would be? Well, in in what I do today, uh, so I have a research background, uh, I have a a business background, I have a speaking background, and uh, and then I've always had leadership roles in companies and continue to help mentor women and men in their career paths and journeys. Excellent, excellent. So let's, let's talk about your first book, Career Confusion. What is it all about? What is the main message you would like for your reader to come away with? 
You know, Career Confusion wasn't an expected book. It was an unexpected book, but I had so many people in the corporate world and in the education community say to me, our students and our employees are very confused about career direction. And I said, well, you know, if, if we were really just to summarize why this is happening, it's really like there's many areas, but the four that I can think about mostly is that, you know, technology has changed. We can't even reach out and touch it anymore. It's something called artificial intelligence and machine learning and internet of things. The firms are changing. They went from hierarchical and very known to flat, agile, trying to be more competitive and global. And so the career pathing is askew right now. And then skill demand has changed. It used to be hard skills, soft skills, or technology skills. And now we need individuals with all three. And then just the fact, number four, is that we're living longer. And as a fact that you're living longer, you're going to have many more jobs and careers um, because many of us will have to work until we're 70, 80s um, just to afford retirement if we're truly going to live to 100, 115. So that's why career confusion came about, is how do we muddle through this mess? And so as the reader goes through career confusion, what is the path that you guide them to? And then ultimately at the end, are there some uh, answers to their questions? Yes. Yeah, so first, the first part of the book, I really just talk about the, we have had the industrial revolutions the world economic forum will say we're in our fourth industrial revolution you know the first one was the shift from agriculture to the factory and people had to change and learn new technologies and then the second shift was really to transportation and railroads you know and then people had to relearn again and how to work and then the third shift was to the computer era you know the pc and the smartphones and now we're in this digital era, the fourth one, advanced technologies with artificial intelligence. So the, really the underlying theme is change will continually happen. Humans have survived, they have evolved, they have learned, and they have reskilled, and we're going through another period right now. And then what I try to do is bring it to life with different stories from individuals, uh, and even in my own career path, of how people have changed or evolved or coped with some of the, you know, the nuances of this new digital era. Right, right. And so when you, when you think about uh, someone who is like my daughter, she's uh, 21, she's finishing up at Penn State. What advice would you give to the millennials now as to how they should go about charting their career? Well, the first and foremost, I say, is do what you like to do, but do something that you do well, well enough to get paid or promoted for it. Because a lot of the messaging a younger generation has gotten is follow your passion. And that's great, but sometimes passion is a hobby. And sometimes we have to look at the pragmatic side of life, which is that we are a revenue stream and that we need to be able to generate income for ourselves so that we can really have a fulfilling life and support whatever we choose to do, whether it's family or you know different travel or housing or whatever, um, education. So, you know, so we really have to have a good grip on what are our key skills that we do very well? Are there skills that we don't do well that we want to fill in the gaps? And then also, do we have scarce skills? 
that are very marketable, that might be worth more to the job market. You know, so you might have a technology background and a finance background, and the coupling of those two skills uh, might net you more than with if you had one or the other. So I think that's we constantly have to look at ourselves based on what the market demand is and what they're paying for and what skills they're paying for. You know, you mentioned a word, first time I've heard it phrased like this, scarce skills, but as soon as you uh, mentioned it, I, I got it. And it's one of those skills that are, are in high in demand. And is that a topic that you have written a, a lot about in regards to uh, scarce skills, if you don't have them, how to develop them? Right, right. So I talk about it a lot. And it really, you know, it hit the hammer on me too. When a woman I met, she was the CIO of a major healthcare institution. And I asked her, what's, why is she so successful? And how did she set herself apart? And that's where I heard the word scarce skill. And she said, Tracy, there's a lot of CIOs out there, chief information officers, but there's very few who have the breadth and depth of healthcare expertise that I have. And the way that I got it, Tracy, was that I made moves. I made moves every four years, worked with recruiters to say, okay, I am a chief information officer, but I really want to be the one, the only one out there who's your go-to person when it comes to healthcare, which meant that every four to six years, a recruiter would help maneuver her to a different kind of healthcare system, whether it was taking over a hospital or working in a different aspect of healthcare. And as a result of that, she became very successful and then actually moved into one of the large consulting firms as a partner. And I thought her story just resonated with me because I never quite understood the scarce skill until someone really, you know, shared it with me. And her her other point was, is when you do develop these scarce skills, they're in such high demand, you get more money for them. So try to avoid that, you know, that hole where you don't want to be the same marketing project manager as the other 50 people out there. You want to be the one who's completely different and bring something different to the table. Wow, that is excellent advice. That is excellent advice. And uh, for the millennials today, um, I'm, I'm, I'm of the great hair bunch, and we used to stay at our companies for a very long time. Um, do you suggest that um, folks should consider to move uh, more rapidly uh, every two years or every four years, or does it just depend upon their particular situation? Well, it just, it is very dependent on the situation, but recruiters will tell you, a few years ago, they said, you know, a good movement is four to six years, and now they're saying, well, now they're moving a little more frequently. The bottom line is, if, if you like what you're doing, you like the company that you're working for, first and foremost, you may want to move internally first, um, because you're going to get the broad range of skill development without having to relearn the culture. But if you really don't like where you work and what you're doing, and you want to pursue something in another company, make sure that you have created a quantifiable success in the company that you're in, so that the move that you're doing really looks like uh, a promotion that you're leaving the firm and someone is bringing you in at a higher level. So they're paying you more, they're giving you a broader range of skills and opportunities. So there's nothing wrong with moving as long as that you're not like job hopping without any successes. Um, and I think it does depend on the industry, it depends on what your skill sets are. You know, obviously right now engineers, people who have programming skills, particularly in security or blockchain, 
Python skills. They're getting lots of offers. So they're going to make, keep making moves and run where the money is um, or the best company is or the best perks are, or the best opportunity is. And so that whole group is just going to have a different experience than maybe some other people. Within, within your book, um, The Career Confusion, um, do you provide the individual with any, let's say, recipes for success or tests that they can take or um, game plans that they can follow uh, to test? Because back in the day when I was coming around, there was a book called What Color Is Your Parachute? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was the Bible back then. But what advice would you give folks today as they're looking to establish their career? Sure. So, so my roadmap or prescription that people, you know, say, what do you have is called, is it time to take a career selfie? And the reason I call it a career selfie is that a couple of years ago, Google published a statistic that people were taking 93 million selfies per day on the Android phone. So they didn't even calculate the iPhone. And I said, that's, that's crazy, staggering numbers. I wonder how much time we're planning you know, placing on our own personal career planning. And it's not much. I can tell you a college student at that time, one and a half years out of school trying to find a job was only spending about an hour and a half a year. And adults were doing everything but career planning. You know, they're eating at restaurants, watching sports, planning weddings, buying cars and homes, not planning their career, which did not make sense to me because we're living longer and we need to think about it. So I wrote this career selfie and the formula was first off, take a snapshot of where you are in your career today and put some focus on it. So it could be that today I I joined a new company. And so I need to become the CEO of my job. And when you join a new company, maybe my career focus today is such a 100-day plan where I get the lay of the land and learn who the network is and what kind of skills and con- you know, contributions I need to make. Or maybe I'm a person who's looking for a job and envision myself one year from today in a new job. Well, then I have a timeline. Start to plan out right back. It's back basically backwards planning. If you want to be a senior manager one year from today, what do you have to do each month leading up to that? So do you need to look at jobs, look at your, redo your resume, uh, informational interviews, you know, what are the things that are going to get you to where you want to be? Um, Another area I talk about also is this personal branding. Uh, you know, how do you promote your skills and scarce skills in the company where you work so that when somebody walks into an elevator and says, who, who are you and what do you do? You have that personal brand pitch ready to say, this is who I am. This is what I do well. And here's some quantifiable facts about myself. So the section of the book is, you know, called, is it time for a career selfie with some tips and guidelines on things that you can do to help maneuver yourself along the way. That is, wow, that is awesome. The career selfie. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Dr. Tracy Weiland, who is the author of uh, 13 books. Did I say that right? 18? Yeah, 13. 13. Uh, Two for this year. Uh, We're talking about career confusion currently. And also we're going to jump into digital uh, distribution. And, 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 And Dr. Weiland, where can folks get in touch with you? Oh, thank you. So my uh, website is tracywyland.com, T-R-A-C-E-Y-W-I-L-E-N.com. And I'm, of course, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is, you know, at Tracy Weiland. And, um, and it's pretty easy to find. 
Excellent. And your books are available on all of the uh, uh, internet retail outlets, I'm sure. Correct. Correct. Beautiful. Beautiful. So let's jump from career confusion to digital disruption, which I love because I'm involved in the digital aspects of of information. Um, What is the digital uh, disruption all about? So that was the first book that I came out early this year because that's when companies were saying to me and educators that the world has gotten very technical seemingly overnight. And what does that mean to all of us? You know, what, what does it mean for work? What does it mean for leaders? What does it mean for employees? What are things that we have to change in workforce development? How as educators do we prepare our students for the future? So it's really just trying to address the various technologies that are coming down the pike that seem to be happening very quickly, trying to wrap our arms around that, and then to try to give some guidance to companies, HR executives, financial leaders like yourself, and teachers on you know how to plan for the future. So that book really came out first, and then the career confusion followed on because that was seen like the natural progression as people kept saying, okay, we got it. We got the technologies here. We got it changing everything. Now what do we do with the career? So that's why those two sort of link hand in hand. Very nice, very nice. And so I, I guess we've been in this this, this digital evolution uh, for quite some time, but to the general public, they think the internet uh, just, just came about. Um, but what are your thoughts about how executives need to not only educate themselves, but educate their team about understanding all of these new digital developments to help them to not only be competitive, but to stay in business. Oh, absolutely. And I think first your point is that executives need to keep on top of technology. You know, in the old days, they would pass it off to the chief information officer or the tech team. Um, But today you can't be competitive unless you completely understand the technology in your industry and what's going on globally so that you can be competitive and not make poor choices about what you buy or install, really implement in your firm. Number two is you have to set up a a pace, culture, and tone in your companies that it is expected that that employees will keep up on the technologies. Now, as a leader, we need to create the the environment so that they can pursue it, whether it's bringing in training or having uh, connections with different cars offerings, and there's so much more online now, Um, but giving them guidance. I was just with a financial firm, for example, that was really bringing in uh, Python training because they saw the value of a lot of the financial employee base uh, really to develop uh, artificial intelligence and data and statistical skills, and so they realized that they really needed to train them in a couple of new areas, and one was in Python and how to code it, second one was design thinking, and the third was, you know, just really to understand where the future is going in the financial world that was changing so fast. So I think as leaders, we have to make sure we take on that responsibility of creating up the environment so our our employees can excel. Oh, absolutely. Recently, I I personally, I completed a course at MIT on blockchain, and I was talking to a gentleman yesterday at a, at a holiday luncheon. And um, he says, you know, I just don't understand blockchain. And I said, you know, it probably makes sense for you to uh, have someone come in 
uh, such as myself to give you an overview of it, I said, but you may want to consider to, to really take a two to three or four week course to give you the fundamentals of it so you can fully understand it so that you can articulate it through your business strategy. He said, you know what, that probably makes a good idea. What advice do you give uh, the current CEOs that you're dealing with and how do, how should they address uh, blockchain for their business? Well, Yes, yes. So no, number one is you have to do a lot more reading than in the past. And some executives will say that they spend a good, uh, you know, three hours a day now just keeping up on reading. And reading can mean more than just books and periodicals. It's really getting out onto, you know, YouTube sites and websites and different blogs. Um, number two is to um, meet with individuals, vendors, experts and conferences and associations that can really offer the wealth of understanding and then talking to you know whether it's friendly competitors um, to understand the use case for it and how it makes sense in terms of the employees I, I say to them encourage your employees to learn two technologies that's relevant to their job so if it's blockchain and financial technologies you know and cyber currency for the financial community then those are the two if you're in manufacturing it might be three 3D printing, um, you know, robotics, uh, you know, so find two technologies and encourage your employees to learn about them in whatever format is most comfortable for them. Some people still like to learn in the classroom, some like to go online, some like to go to group sessions, and some need one-on-one. -on -one. But the more important point is that people are just continually learning about the technology that will impact their industry and their jobs today. Oh, no doubt about it. And, and fintech um, is such a, a hot topic. I was at a luncheon yesterday, and the Hong Kong Trade Development Corporation is having a two-day conference in Hong Kong on fintech uh, coming up in January. And and so when you're talking with your your, your CEOs, um, do you? As you said, you do a uh, career selfie. Do you do a, uh, let's say, a, a digital checkup to see where they are and 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 how they can improve their their digital awareness? Yeah. So a lot of my discussions with the executives who I meet is mostly about leadership. You know, now that I have my employees and I have to think, rethink through leading my company in a digital world, how do I reskill or keep my employees? Uh, up to speed. And so that's a whole different approach than in the past. Um, and, you know, we went through this whole phase where companies really did help employees with training and management. And then we had the hands-off period. And now we're back on to a hands-on period. And a lot of that has to do with that the jobs are, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a hiring market right now. So jobs are scarce. So employers really want to figure out how to create incentives for employees to, to stay. So I talked to them more about, you know, as, you know, as a leader, you know, how are you going to lead your company? Um, and I always say, you know, if you didn't have your title, would people follow you? You know, and that's a good judgment of your leadership skills and capabilities. Um, you know, and I also say to employees who work on teams, you know, if we had the choice of voting you on our team or off our team, you know, what would happen? So I think this whole idea of the workplace is, in, is really evolving is pretty important for a lot of leaders today. You know, you raise a very, very good point of, of saying, would people select you? And it makes me think of uh, Survivor, the reality TV show. And 
how do you cultivate uh, a high performing culture where people are supportive of each other, uh, but also not undermining someone who might be operating at a higher level, you know, for people to say, oh, well, this person is very strong. I'm not going to support what they're doing because I don't want to, I don't want them to be stronger. Um, how do you promote that very productive, cohesive culture? Yeah, and I think that's a really good question today because, you know, today as leaders, we have to be transparent um, and we have to give much more insight and visibility to the, you know, what's happening in the nature of the firm. Um, number two is we actually have to have competence and competence not only in what we do, but also the technologies. Number three is we have to be very confident, confident that we want to hire people who are smarter than ourselves because I view really building a team is building a team of experts and each expert may be really strong and much stronger than myself in something. My role is to make sure that they can really actualize to their true potential. Um, a lot of times what I have done over the years is powerful pairings. I have taken two different kinds of people and paired them together to work on projects so that they can become mentors for each other and help each other along. I've also put people on teams where we have two strong people and maybe what we call the A player and maybe three B players because the B players will always get inspired and want to keep up with the A players. And at the same time, the A players want opportunities to develop their own personal leadership skills. So I think each situation is very different, uh, but the way that we use our team's capabilities is really in an evolution because we truly can't let any talent go to waste. I mean, you can't really have B and C players, right? We really need to keep moving everyone in a positive direction. Right. And, you know, that leads to a very good next question in regards to how do you take those people who are unfortunately D players, somehow they got in, <laughs> and C players, how do you elevate them? And then if they don't choose to elevate themselves, how do you manage them out of the organization in a way where, you know, relationships are kept whole and the organization is not viewed as a um, let's say a piranha eating fishing uh, environment. <laughs> right. So the first thing I think is becoming really important is the interview process and really screening uh, candidates to make sure that they have the capabilities and skills and fit in certain cases for the jobs at hand and at the same time that the employee understands what they're getting into. So there's a lot more focus now on recruiting and making sure that we have uh, the best and most diverse talent and that they completely understand the organization. Number two is onboarding has become very hot again. It was very hot when I joined Silicon Valley, onboarding sessions would last at least weeks and a lot of this executive team would be involved and then it got down to a webinar and then we lost a lot of people and so now onboarding is becoming a critical factor to make sure that employees understand everything about the company, where to go, what the job entails, what they need to do, who they need to know, and you know, really to be successful. And then in terms of you know, A players and B players and C players, you know, I, I guide a lot of managers because what happens is you end up losing a lot of time and getting sucked into the underperforming employees rather than spending your time on the high performing employees. So the, you know, there is a, a quote saying spend 80% of your time on their highest performing people and only 20% of your time on the lowest performing people. And either the lowest performing people will figure out what to do and how to get better 
or they'll make different adjustments in their life. The highest performing people, quite interesting, will continue to perform even more. And that's why you want to make sure that you're giving them a lot of your attention because they could almost double your revenue if you give them pathway and resources so that they can be successful. In terms of transitioning people, I've seen and heard of a lot of creative ways. Um, for example, you know, in the big four consulting firms, they never hire someone who's not capable. But what they might find that over time that the person isn't a fit. So a lot of times they explain to me that they share with vendors, uh, key customers, uh, and try to create like rotation out programs so that the expertise is actually still in the extended family. And I think that's a very creative approach because it creates ways that people still stay connected to the firm and are in transition in a positive way while doing something good for another firm. Um, other firms have told me that, you know, they have early retirement packages, they have volunteer part-time packages where the employee maybe starts to phase out on their own. They can do certain capabilities in the firm, but at the same time, it's really only a part-time at this point. So maybe what they can do is work part-time for the firm and then volunteer and do something else. So there's a lot of creative ways that people are doing today to transition employees. Wow, that is excellent. Tracy, believe it or not, we're at the end of our interview. This was so good. But before we go, if you could, could you give our audience just 30 seconds of your thoughts of a best practice of being a high-performing employee? Yes, sure. So to be a high-performing employee, number one is you have to be CEO of your own job. That means what I would say to employee I hire the job today that you're getting hired for will look nothing like this job one year from now because of you. You're going to take this job, you're going to own it like a CEO, and you're going to keep up on all of the industry trends, the technologies, follow the firms and industry, and make this into what it needs to be. Because if it's just like this a year from now, that means that we're not going to be competitive. So I think you need to you know, really be CEO of your job. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been so blessed to have Dr. Tracy Weiland as our guest. She is the author of 13 books, but we're, we talked about career confusion today. We talked about digital disruption. I would suggest that you read Digital Disruption first, then go to Career Confusion, as that's the way that they were released. Tracy, thank you for so much for being on our program. Thank you, and have a great new year. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this wraps it up for this week on Leadership with Darrell Gunter on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.